You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Unemployed, Unemployed Workers, Workers Fight, Fight Back. 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 Join your hosts Anne and Kevin, that's me, the second and fourth Friday of each month on The Sewer Show. Between 5.30 and 6.30pm. Here on 3CR Community Radio. Radio. This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions for the unemployed and underemployed. Everyone, Everyone in, in our, our community, community has value. value. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back on this Friday, the 11th of June. We're in winter now, and it is officially winter. <laughs> I could have told you that, Kevin, when I tried to get out of bed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Hey, very good. Now, sometimes we get a bit repetitive on the show, and we talk about things that we've <laughs> talked about before. I reckon there's this thing which people really need to pay attention to, which you mm. touched on the last show with Avis Williamson, who I thought was mm-hmm. fantastic. She's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we keep on coming back to the Australian Office of Financial Management. Oh, we've got and, them in our sights, don't we? <laughs> yeah, and and their and their uh, policy of full funding, and and mm. uh, I thought it was particularly interesting uh, when Avis was talking about Treasury and about the AOFM, about mm. how all these departments are doing what they're supposed to do without realising what it is they're trying to achieve. So they're, they're given like a, a small part of the machine to look after and mm. all they worry about is the cogs that turn in their small part of the machine without knowing what the outcome is. Yeah, the interesting thing about the Australian Office of Financial Management is that they're on the pointy end of the weirdness of neoliberalism. So I guess what Avis and I were sort of pondering was what is it like to sit in there and be given a directive and be given a, a sort of a reason to be, which actually makes no economic sense? <laughs> so let's explain to Larry and Larissa, Larissa uh, what the AOFM is, the Australian Office of Financial Management, mm. and that's the part of Treasury that's responsible for selling bonds to balance the budget. Yeah? With a would that be yeah, fair? Yeah, so let's just be clear that the bonds they sell, I believe, are treasury bonds. So in the bond market, you get lots of different kinds of bonds with all different kinds of people selling them. But in this case, we're looking at the federal government selling bonds. So, and so the AOFM performs this function with the understanding that it sells bonds to make up the difference between what the government has spent and what it's collected in tax revenue... So if it spends a billion dollars and it collects half a billion dollars in taxes, the Australian Office of Financial Management has to spend a half a billion dollars in bonds to make up the difference. It has this belief that uh, that government spending needs to be fully funded mm. by a, com- a combination of tax and what they call <laughs> borrowing, borrowing. Um, <laughs> by selling bonds. Now, we've spoken so much about bonds that I'm not going right. to go through it again, Right. But but that's that's their understanding and that's the orthodox understanding of how the economy works is that mm-hmm. the government it can't live beyond its means it has to have a fully funded budget which means it should try not to run a deficit it should try to at least break even and hopefully run a surplus that's the orthodox view yeah. of how an economy should be run i imagine you know if you had a directory of every con- economist in australia you've had like a phone book and you just randomly chose one and phoned them and said does the australian federal government need to borrow in order to raise revenue in order to spend chances are the economists would say yes <laughs> yeah now um we're going to f- uh, follow up this hopefully with another show but we uh we both saw luke mcgregor on q and a not long ago. Yes, we did. Talking about this very yes, thing. Yes, he's become a hero in MMT circles. Yeah, now, <laughs> and we're going to point this out again. Uh, Luke McGregor is not just a comedian. He He's actually got a mm. double degree, one of them being in economics. 
So, yes. correct. He's a closet economics. Well, yeah. he did do Lukeonomics. That was a bit of, of a giveaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but he's also, he studied um, orthodox economics because that's the only uh, economics mm. you can learn these days. And we've had a, quite a few discussions mm. about how the economics courses around the world are teaching this very orthodox neoliberal version of economics that um, uh, we've had mm-hmm. quite a few people critique and say it's just a load of rubbish, things like the Nairu and, and other bits and pieces. So... Mm. For Luke to come around and start understanding MMT, he's had to overcome quite a hurdle to get there. He's had to overcome uh, an orthodox campaign of misinformation, which is uh, which is regurgitated through uh, the economics courses through that are taught. All the academic. Um, yep. And he was shut down uh, during that conversation just as he was trying to explain that it's mm. not debt that you have to be concerned about; it's inflation that uh, that is mm-hmm. the main concern. And that debt is is basically a non-issue. Now, you and I have been talking about that for ages. So it all boils down to this idea, a fact actually, a fact of life, that the Australian federal government is the issuer of the currency. That means it has no limit as to how many dollars it can create. But, and there's a big but here, (laughs) there is a limit as to how much it can spend. Well, the ability to create dollars is not the same as the actual practice of creating dollars. There is a limit in practice. So so it has the ability to create as much currency as it likes, but it needs to be Mm. conscious of the effect that creating currency will have on the economy. So, uh, and this is Mm. a discussion we've had a thousand times, it it is Mm. critical as to where they place that money that that will determine how an economy performs. Uh, mm. And what you and yeah. I would say, and the context, yeah, yeah, and you and I would say that the uh, that successive governments over the last thirty to forty years have had a very neoliberal uh, uh, bent on how they sp- <laughs> they, they spend money. They give it to people at the top with this expectation that uh, that with the entrepreneurial go-getters who run businesses, uh, if they're doing well, then the rest mm. of the economy will do well. I mean, I think what MMT is telling everyone, modern monetary theory, what it's done is to, to make it very clear to, to all of us who will listen is that the this is a capacity that the federal government has always had and always will have. And it's really about the political process. How does the political process use that capacity and in the last, you know, three or four or five decades, we've had a neoliberal swing, which is a set of ideas of how you should use your spending capacity. And you and I are probably not, <laughs> we're breaking out of that paradigm. And so we're saying, well, there are other ways to use that spending capacity that might benefit more people in, in the society. Yeah. So in, in short, the neoliberals um, are saying that the private sector should run the economy and that the government should get out of the way. And what we're saying is the government is crucial to a, a properly mm. performing uh, economy, as has been exemplified uh, when it comes into uh, a point of crisis like it has just recently. And this is what I really want to get down to, because what we're saying with, with the Australian <laughs> Office of Financial Management, what they're saying by saying that they need to have a fully funded budget is that they... Mm expect there to be zero percent of overspend and mm. hopefully some degree of underspend now if you understand mm. that the government spending is what will facilitate the expansion of an economy and you're saying that it can't overspend and it must underspend that runs contrary to that whole concept if a, if, a, mm. if an economy is going to expand it needs the government to spend into the economy and not expect to get all that money back because Mm. you need more and more dollars as the economy expands just through inflation population growth productivity etc and Mm -hmm. i know we've talked about this a couple of times before and it's a bit of a bit of an unproven (laughs) theory but it's my theory and the more i think oh we're back to kevin's theory it's my theory and and and, uh it's that the that it's government spending that facilitates this expansion of the economy. And uh, mm. and what I think we should do is just have a little bit of think about that while we uh, have a nice listen to a song to clear our minds and then come back to mm-hmm. go through this in just a little bit more detail. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. 
3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back here on 3CR. Just before that uh, promo regarding the Radiothon, we heard from Klaus Close Counters with their song Solar Coaster. But as you heard, uh, in the promo, it's Radiothon month here at uh, 3CR. This is the, the month where we try and persuade anybody who can help us out to do exactly that, to contribute to the 3CR community, uh, to chuck some, some dollars our way if you can afford it. If you can't, we understand that. That's okay. But if you can, well, you should, because that's what community is about. It's about uh, contributing. Uh, and if you can mention our show, that makes us look better to 3CR management. They like they like us better if we can if we can muster support for the show. So so please if you can, we'd uh, we'd very much appreciate it if you could uh, could help us out here. Now uh, Anne and I have been talking about the Australian Office of Financial Management and their policy of full funding. Currency creation can be done a couple of ways. Uh, we've got uh, the government can spend into the economy and that will um, create uh, currency. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to explain it. It's true, but we all know that when, <laughs> if you have a job seeker or a job keeper program, or you have uh, an infrastructure program, the government has to um, pump money into the economy, uh, and that's good. That helps the economy expand. But you can also create currency in the in the private sector. Private banks can create currency, mm-hmm. uh, and there's all these right. theories about how uh, if you go to get a loan from the bank. That there's uh, what do they call it when you've got ten percent? This fractional reserve, mm-hmm. fractional reserve banking, uh, and there's again this goes into all the economics, the the orthodox economics uh, teachings at the moment. But what we do know mm-hmm. is this: is that no bank manager will refuse a loan if the customer can repay it, and no bank manager has ever right. rung up their their uh, the people the bank counters the head bank counters in the bank and said hey have we got enough money to um, to lend to this guy um, he can pay it back mm-hmm. they they don't have to mm-hmm. they never have what we do mm-hmm. know is that the banks will loan to anybody who they deem to be an acceptable risk uh, mm-hmm. and they'll 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 do this by uh, setting up an arrangement with other banks to uh, to borrow money from them to pass on to somebody else which is the overnight cash rake and the interbank lending system yeah. So mm-hmm. if you want to borrow a million bucks and you haven't got a million bucks on your sheet, then you go to the, another bank and you say, uh, can you lend me a million bucks and I'll pay you back your million bucks plus a little bit of interest. And if the other bank hasn't got it, if all the banks um, are all kind of a bit uh, a bit tight because there's lots of lending going on, then you go to the reserve bank and you say, listen, uh, I've tried borrowing from all the other banks, um, but uh, nobody wants to lend to us because they're all a bit tight. Can you spot us um, a million bucks? And the Reserve Bank will say, yeah, no worries. We're going to do it for a slightly higher interest rate, but yeah, no problem. Like you say, if someone walks in and wants to borrow some money, the bank does never look in its vaults to see if it's got the money to lend. So that's the second mistake that mainstream economists make. The first mistake they make is on the government side, which is they don't understand that the government has a fiat non-convertible currency, which means it can create as much of it no, there's no there's no physical limit to how much money the government can create. And then the other mistake they make is thinking that the banks have to have money sitting <laughs> somewhere in the in the depths of the vaults before they can lend it. So the way the the simple way of saying it is the government creates money when it spends, banks create money when they lend. So you walk in and you say I want to borrow a hundred thousand dollars and then What's happening is that they're creating a liability for you, which is the loan. And at the same time, they're creating a deposit for you, which is the money they've lent you, which you can spend. And it's at the point, if you're going to go and spend that money, and now it's going to enter the payment system of the economy, that's when the banks have to start to talk to each other. Because if some of that $100,000 goes into a different bank, because... 
the person you're spending with banks at a different bank, then the banks need to be able to transfer $100,000 between each other. Okay, I get you. And uh, I did. I was actually slightly errant. When you borrow one hundred thousand dollars, it's it's not borrowed until you spend it, um, and that's that's when you that's when balances start trans, being transferred between banks and the rest mm. of it. But anyway, that's quite confusing, Anne, <laughs> and it's getting away from the point. My my point is this: is that in the private banking sector, if you borrow a, a, a hundred thousand dollars, you have to pay back a hundred thousand dollars, and you have to pay back interest, and the bank. It then has to pay back wherever it borrowed it from, whether that was from another bank or whether it actually borrowed it from the Reserve Bank of Australia, which the, the RBA will fund uh, uh, bank loans if the other banks can't can't manage it for them. So, But it all has to be paid back, plus mm. interest, and they will not let you off it. So mm. uh, you have to pay it back. Sometimes they might, and it might affect their profit sheet, but they'll chase you and they'll hand you, hound you. Uh, <laughs> So there's there's no actual currency creation in that in that cycle because they lend it out and then they take it back and in fact they take it back and a bit more. Mm. So what that actually does is create um, a, a stress or a drain on the economy because at the very least you need to pay back the interest on top of what you've borrowed, which means that money needs to come from somewhere else as well. Mm. Well, you can go and borrow that from a bank, but then they're going to want that back with interest, and it's always you're always going to have this mm. system of, of people chasing their interest. It's a bit of a pyramid scheme, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where it, everyone who's borrowing, like I've borrowed to buy a house, and then so I pay the person who who sells me the house, but then they've borrowed to buy their bigger house and maybe to send their kids to school or something. And then the school has borrowed to pay all their staff. And then the, so and often, the person you bought from goes. paid a builder and they had to borrow from him. And there's all these, there's all these mm. uh, deals which are all up in the air, like, like a, a big juggling act with all these balls it up is, in the air. Isn't it? It's like lots and of spinning plates up there in the air. Lots, yep. lots of spinning plates, but none of it is creating new currency. No. It's, it's what it's doing is uh, what do you call it? This, this is the velocity of money. This is money going flowing through the system. It's flying around the place. It's going from here to there, and everybody that um, that has a, takes a bite of it wants a little bit more you know, to make it worth mm. their while. Nobody's working for for a loss. Everybody's working for a profit. So mm. uh, and the profit is underpinned by interest rates. So everybody wants to make a bit of money out of what they're doing, and they want a little bit more than what they started off with, and that creates more and more demand. On the money, uh, on the currency uh, supply, uh, without creating any new currency. Now, mm. this this is this is my theory. Mm-hmm. The only organisation that can create new <laughs> currency, and well, they always Wait they they, they, they say they're asking for it back. They call it they call it debt. They say that you owe us owe us it back again, but they can mm. keep on kicking that debt down the road. Is the government? Mm. The government runs this continuous debt. It, and it's it's been doing it for a hundred years, and the debt grows and grows and grows, mm-hmm. at the same time as the economy grows and grows and grows. And it, am I being simplistic? But does it to me? It seems that the the government debt is funding the expansion of the economy. And mm. if, so, so if the government wants to uh, wants that debt repaid, it's going to collapse the economy because all that extra money ends up in the private sector. So if the government well, says, oh, give me back my, what is it now? It's running at a trillion dollars, is it? Or it's, it's, yeah, it's getting quite getting close to, yeah. yeah. Where's that going to come, yeah. where's that going to come from? <laughs> well, you know, okay, so another way of saying, you know, you, you and I can really, we've done our heads in thinking about this and, and trying to get our heads around it. I think one of the reasons this is sort of difficult to understand is because you have to think in macroeconomic terms, which is even though you start with okay, if I if I borrow a hundred thousand dollars, where does that? How do we follow that money trail? What you when you're describing the economy, you're actually describing like everybody doing a whole bunch of things at the same time, and so what you have to do is at the end of the day add up where everything ends up, and so if you think in macroeconomic terms, what you would say is that at the end of the day, somehow there's this extra money that's in the form of this promised um, promised to pay interest on all these loans. So if everybody pays back everybody, <laughs> at the end of the day, you're left with this promise to pay back more money than everyone started with. 
So where is this money coming from? And the other part of it is with the government debt. At the end of the day, you're you're adding up what what has happened with the government spending and the government taxing. So you're doing these what they call aggregates. And thinking in terms of aggregates can be a little bit confusing. So there's two things that you're talking about. It's like what's happening with the government-created money and what's happening with these bank-created credit, which is called dollars and which to most of us just looks like money as well, but it's actually not the currency. So the government creates currency and the private sector creates um, bank credit, which is also called dollars. The other way of talking about what you're talking about is to say, what would it look like if you paid the debt back? <laughs> well, it would be a disaster. <laughs> no, it would Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't. It depends what you're talking about. So I think if you're talking about paying back the government's debt, what you're saying is that this government debt, all it is, is what happened when they converted cash into bonds. I reckon that's going to get really confusing if you start talking, if you because we know that bonds aren't debt. If the government paid back what they call the debt, which we know are bonds, if they just paid that back, what would happen? Nothing, because all they're doing is they're converting the bonds back to cash again. So it'd be like the, um, you know, the Y2K bug. Nothing would happen. <laughs> I think that's really confusing <laughs> because if, if you say that government bonds uh, fund government debt, that's misleading because you and I, we've had this, it's a really complicated discussion, but you and I know mm. that bonds uh, underpin monetary policy, not fiscal policy, and that the bonds just get kicked down the road uh, mm. and it's it's not it, it it doesn't really fund government debt. Now we've got we've got nearly a trillion dollars of debt at the moment, uh, yeah. and that that's gone into bolstering the private sector. So to pay mm. that back, the private sector needs to pay back that debt, which means you'd have to shrink all of the growth what are you over a hundred years. It depends if you're talking about the government debt or the private sector. I'm talking about government the accumulated government debt so they run a deficit each year which accumulates over time and now we have a deficit mm. a, a total government debt which is approaching a trillion dollars mm. now that's money that's gone into the private sector now to repay that debt the private sector would need to come up with a trillion dollars mm. to to that's the, the government really if the government wanted to run its its uh it by its standards if it wanted to run an economy efficiently it would have a fully funded, balanced budget every year. Forget about surpluses and deficits. It would mm. say, this is their theory, they say that uh, for a government to run a proper budget, it needs to take back out of the economy exactly what it puts into the economy. Mm. And, and so it's running no surplus, it's running no deficit, it's running a zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That equals a flat economy. That equals an economy that does not grow because there's no... There's no growth passing from the public sector to the private sector. It's a flat economy. And, and But the, what they're saying is they want the economy to grow and they want the private sector to grow the economy. Mm. But the private sector has no capacity to create new currency because it always needs to be paid back with interest. Right. So, so the only way you can grow your economy is if the public sector, the government, keeps on pumping money into the economy. Now... Let's just have a bit of a think about this and we'll play another song and we'll come back to it because <laughs> I've got my next phase of this, which mm. which I reckon help might help explain things. Um, mm. So we'll have a listen to the song and we'll come back to it. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast.
pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. Yes, you're on 3CR, listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. As you just heard in the promotion then, it's Radiothon Month, and uh, we'll take your money any way that you want to give it to us. If you've got a whole bunch of two-cent and five-cent coins and they're sitting in the corner of the room and you want to pay that way, that's okay. We prefer not to because it's a bit tedious. But, you know, if that's what that's what it takes, that's fine. And mention our program, Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Before we heard how to pay your donation, and there's many ways to do that online or, you know, with loose change, whatever whatever takes your fancy. Uh, we heard from Courtney Barnett with um, Don't Apply Compression Gently. Haven't heard that song for a while. It's a good song. Now, and I've been talking about this theory that I've got, which I've got to say has no basis in credibility whatsoever, and it may be far-fetched, uh, but the purpose of me presenting this theory is to at least open up the way people think about debt, about so-called debt and about currency creation. So what I'm suggesting is that the accrued government debt over the years funds the expansion of the economy and that to worry about that debt, to think that we have to pay it back, would in fact collapse the economy. So the government spends money into existence. Now the way that money can, what can happen to that money is two things. One is it can go back out of existence because it'll get taxed out of the economy and so it just gets chewed up and, and thrown in the garbage bin and never to return. Um, the other thing that can happen with the money that the government spends is it ends up being converted into bonds. And so when people say that what would happen if the government paid off all its debt I think sometimes they mean what if the government never spent more than it taxed and what would happen then is that the private sector would lose its savings but if they mean what would happen if the government paid back what they think was borrowing which looks like bonds which we know is not borrowing then we know that all that would happen is the bonds would convert back into cash again. And that's where nothing would happen. That would be the, the big bang that's a whimper. Now, now I, I think we need to be very clear about this conversation about bonds. And we hear this say, said quite often in MMT circles, is that government bonds is an asset swap. What does that mean? The government turns currency into bonds and then it turns those bonds back into currency with a bit of interest. It just swaps right. one for the other. You can buy a bond but then the government has to pay it back again. Now, let's say there's a trillion dollars worth of debt in government bonds, which which I believe there is at the moment. Is that, is that okay. correct? Around, around... They're calling it debt. Well, yes. let's say there's a trillion dollars worth of bonds, which I say is pretending to be debt. It's pretending to be debt. In fact, I remember Dr. Stephen Hale, who was on the show earlier, he calls that part of the money supply the net money supply. The net money supply. So, so you might say that the government is funding its debt by selling bonds, but then it's got to pay the bonds back with interest. So it's what they call an asset swap. So it goes backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. Now, if the government paid out and, and paid it, said, rightio, we're going to uh, take all the bonds back and we're going to give you currency to, to uh, for the bonds, it would have mm-hmm. to come up with about a trillion dollars at the moment. Right. Okay. Now, according to the Australian Office of Financial Management, they would have to fund that. And do you know how they would fund that? How would they fund it? They'd have to sell a trillion dollars worth of bonds. <laughs> have to sell a trillion dollars worth of bonds. So this it's is what like I'm saying. It's like chasing it, its tail, isn't it? It's not funding debt. It's it's just because of this policy um, mm. that they're saying that you have to have a, have a balanced budget. And a balanced budget means you have a flat economy. Here's my theory part two. The economists and, uh, and Treasury, they want the economy to grow by 2 to 3% per year. 
mm-hmm. to give us a forward lean on the economy so that things improve in price and so that that, that uh, generates interest in people selling things and, and it mm-hmm. generates interest in a slight, uh, slight rise in wages and, and things always become a little bit more valuable, which promotes activity. Mm-hmm. If you want your economy to grow by 2 or 3% per year, you need to forgive or release 2 to 3% of your government spending debt per year. So rather than running a fully funding budget at 0%, you run a budget that's always about, I don't know, 3% in debt, and you just forget the debt. You just wipe it off. Mm. So you want your economy to go by 2 or 3%, then the government incurs a 2 to 3% deficit, unpaid, wiped off every year to fund the expansion of the economy. Now, I'm, I'm, that might be simplistic, and an economist might say, no, it's not 2 or 3%, it needs to be something else because this will happen and there'll be other factors. Mm. But what I'm saying is that if the government just wrote off a proportion of its debt each year to fund the expansion of the economy, then we could get rid of this ridiculous notion of full funding, which pushes this this uh, this barrow of uh, of taxation and austerity, and just accept the fact that the economy is going to expand and that the government's always going to be slightly in debt, as it should be. So don't worry about it. And mm. and, and rather than saying all or nothing, rather than saying it needs to be zero. Just set a level where government spending does not mm. need to be recouped by taxation. So let's say let's say that we applied this theory retrospectively over the, okay. the history over the history of our currency oh over a hundred years. You're really bending my mind here now. Okay. Okay. So so if we said radio, we're, we're allowed to we're allowed to write off two to three percent of government spending each year without it being repaid. So we don't run a zero sum game. We run a ninety five to ninety seven percent. Uh, return now. If you mm-hmm. did that over the last hundred years for every government deficit, I reckon you'd mm-hmm. find that there'd be no debt. <laughs> that you'd zero out your debt. <laughs> this this is my wild, crazy theory based on nothing other than than mm. than sort of some kind of insane basic logic. <laughs> is that is that the money had to come from somewhere? The expansion of the economy had to come from somewhere. There's mm. only one organisation that can create currency, and that's the mm. That's the uh, Australian government through the Reserve Bank of Australia. Mm. Where did the money come from? It didn't come from the private sector because the private sector chews up its own own uh, cash and wants a little bit more in interest. It could only have mm. come from from the uh, from the, through government spending. And we've got this massive one trillion dollar government debt, and we've got an economy which I reckon's probably growing by the same amount. And mm. if you'd factored in the growth each year of the economy and wrote and write off that small percentage each year of your government debt, you'd have a balanced budget. Mm. How's that for a theory? Good theory. I think it's terrible. Because <laughs> <laughs> because I, I reckon we get so caught up in the detail that we can't see the bleeding bleeding. I obvious. know I can't see the wood for the trees. Often you've got to have two things going, which is your macro, um, your macro hat on. So adding everything up together, all all together, yeah. and figuring out what you've got at the end. And yeah. you also have to have your national accounting hat on, which is where I fall, really fall over is understanding. Uh, following the money trail through the year for the whole economy. I think you need to go and talk to Steve Keane because I think what you need to do is make your own software like he did. Um, Steve Keane, who's no, an no, economist. No, you, you say that. No, you're just you're just <laughs> making hurdles, Anne. Now we we sat down with Bill Mitchell a little while ago at, mm. in a little cafe down in Flinders Lane somewhere. Oh there. no. And I proposed this theory to him. No, (laughs) no. I said to him, I said to him, Bill, I said, I know that you're a professor in economics and I know that I'm a handyman, but here's my theory. And he didn't discredit it. He he didn't say, no, that's ridiculous. He said, hmm, Mm. there might be some merit to that. He he went, hmm. Or words to that effect. He went, hmm. But Bill, who is a brainiac and has the size of a small planet, would have shot me down in flames if if it was flawed, but he didn't. So I made a brainiac go, hmm, and I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> he didn't go, yes, hallelujah, you are the next Nobel Prize winning economist. He just went, yeah, but, hmm. <laughs> but when he steals my theory and he starts thinking about it and he wins his Nobel Prize, I want him to come back to me. <laughs> you are reading such a lot into that, hmm, people. I can tell you that that, hmm, was not, yes, Kevin's Listen, economic theorem. <laughs> You, to... you and I, you and I know Bill rather well, and Bill is not tolerant of fools. If you, if you, no. if you say something to That's Bill, which is out of whack, which is completely foolish, he will not, 
go, hmm, he will <laughs> tell you exactly what he thinks of you. <laughs> I think what needed to happen for the rest of that conversation, which was, Kevin, define your terms here so we know exactly what we're talking about. And, mm, well, uh, yeah. No, yeah. I, reckon, I reckon I'm onto something here. So... Mm. Let's just let's just um, have a, have a little example of what happens in the private sector when they create currency and things go skew if when when the rails uh, when the wheels fall off. Mm. So uh, let's go back to two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. We're in America. Mm-hmm. You've got the subprime mortgage thing going on. You've got all these people who are borrowing against house prices, which are going up and up, and everybody's uh, having a great time because. You know, they, mm-hmm. they buy a house for something and then and then it uh, expands and it becomes more and more expensive and they're feeling richer and richer. And mm-hmm. then there's a big correction and mm-hmm. and the whole thing just goes, right, okay, your house that you thought was worth $500,000 is actually worth $125,000. Everybody Too lost their houses. Too bad that you loaned <laughs> p- 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 300000 for your now $150,000 house. Yeah, mm. which they now can't repay. Um, mm. And so the banks are sitting there going, oh, well... Uh, we are owed all this money and uh, we can't get it back, which means our business model is going to fail. Mm-hmm. So what happened was the Obama, the Obama administration, mm. paid out the banks. It mm-hmm. it. Now, I've just been thinking about this recently, but essentially it said, right, well, you're supposed to have all this money um, in your accounts. You don't. You're not going to get it from the people that bought the houses, so uh, we'll pay it for you. Mm. Um, and it basically just balanced their books. It, mm. it in, injected a substantial amount of currency into the private sector to stop mm. the banks from failing. Mm. So it's not like they actually gave them a whole bunch of money. They just relieved them of their debt to stop them from collapsing. Right. So what you're saying is that they essentially forgave the loans? Is that what you're saying? Correct. Correct. But, mm. Well, you know, in, in Australia, the banks would either borrow from each other or they would borrow from the Reserve Bank of Australia. And I'm presuming it's something similar in the States, that mm. the, the banks would borrow from each other, uh, but the Federal Reserve would underpin that whole system. And mm. so if the loans, if a bank had borrowed money from another bank uh, and everything's collapsed, those banks are all going to want the money back from each other. And if they can't mm. pay them back, all the banks are going to fall over. Mm. Uh, and the Federal Reserve came in and said, "Radio, we'll balance all your books. We can't, we can't have a collapse like this. It'll, it'll ruin the economy." So that essentially, to me, um, is kind of like a another form of currency creation within the private sector, mm. not inside the, the public sector, where the private sector created currency through defaults, mm. at, with the with the um, with the central bank bailing out. Uh, private institutions basically said, right, yeah, well, the economy has reached this size. Uh, we don't have the assets to back it up anymore, but we're just going to pump all this yeah. currency into your accounts and hold the system up. Yeah, we're um, going to have to really look into the um, GFC sometime or what economic crises look like. I think yeah. one way of understanding this is, and it was something I couldn't understand. I was living in America at the time when the, the mortgage crisis hit. And I could not understand because I would walk around the streets and I would see sold signs on houses and after house. And I go, I don't get this because the house has not suddenly evaporated. Like I can see it in front of my eyes. And yet something has happened that people can no longer be in these houses. Like what is going on? And and bizarre I think when you think about it, yeah, it is so bizarre. And I I think it's coming back to that understanding of what money is and. So what you're looking at there is a difference between what we call the real economy and the nominal economy. So the real economy is the actual stuff. It's the house I'm walking past. And the nominal economy is what says how much money is that house worth. And what's, what you're t- describing with these crises where everyone's lending and they're lending more and more and they're lending more than people can pay back is that you're describing an an inflation or an asset bubble where the nominal economy has kind of become unhinged (laughs) from the real economy. Yeah. And um, what I've started to understand too about what this neoliberal era has done and how this emphasis on the private sector um, creation of bank credit, not creation of currency, this... This emphasis, what it has done is it's emphasized 
a, a form of income that they call um, they call rentier income, so or rent income. And so what neoliberalism has done has emphasised income that you get from asset price increasing, from dividends and from interest. And all of those kinds of income are called unearned income. That means that you didn't earn it by banging a hammer for eight hours or whatever. You could have earned that income in your sleep. So that's income that's coming to you without any productive activity. And that kind of income used to be what the elites and the aristocracy lived off. And then through the neoliberal era after World War II, they kind of sucked the working class and the middle classes into saying, you know, you guys could have some of this too. And so I feel like then that's what is going to create a crisis like the 2008 crisis because because that ends up being like a um, like those spinning plates in the air. You can only keep so many plates in the air compared to how many plates you've got. <laughs> I don't, don't know if that's the right analogy. Well, if, if you want to see how the economy has changed over 50 years or so, uh, and I was reading this, this could have been in Bill's book. Um, but one know. of Bill's books called, called Reclaiming the State. Reclaiming the state. So, if you had looked at if you had a look at the stock market fifty years ago and and what companies comprised the stock market back then, most of them were uh, companies that produced something physical. You know, like mm. they, they would make something, and and you would buy shares in this company that would make steel or bricks or something clever. You know, mm-hmm. even if it was a computer, I don't know what. Mm. Um, if you have a look at the stock market now, the bulk of the stock market is taken up by financial services, right? By these by these rentier businesses right, that don't right. do anything other than shuffle figures around. They don't actually it? make a, a physical yeah. Pro- product. Yeah. They just yeah. make they just make money, you know. Um, and I don't know. I, I, to, I, I call me old fashioned. I just can't get my head around that. <laughs> that, that to me, doesn't make sense. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, some of the economists have looked at this and they've noticed the how capitalism has changed since World War Two. And it's done what you've described, which is change from industrial capitalism to finance capitalism. And so most of the money being created and so supposedly being made is in the finance sector rather than in traditional sectors like um, construction or um, producing widgets or agriculture and so on. So, yeah. yeah. It's like it's like buying a bag of air, and and I reckon it is. It's like you have somebody's talking. They create a a, a, a bag of hot air, and they go, you know, those words you just spoke. They were they were really clever words. And this bag of hot air that mm-hmm. those words came from, I'm going to give it to you for a million bucks, and you can sell that for a mm-hmm. profit. And somebody mm-hmm. else buys this bag of hot air, and they blow a bit more hot air into it, speaking a bit more bullshit, and they sell it to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the well, bag of hot air just gets... that's what it is, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's what it is. They, it is. they look at behavioural economics, and basically the confidence, they always call it the confidence, don't they, of the market. Oh, yeah. So if you believe the what the other guy says, who believes what the other guy says, who believes what the other guy says, then you'll all invest your money into red tulips or whatever it is. Oh. <laughs> Into a monorail or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) until finally someone realises that, you know, red tulips are actually not a great resource to have. Yes, correct. Uh, Yeah, so anyway, interesting. Uh, I don't know how we ended up there, um, Anne. Uh, We were talking about. We ended up in the the tulip field. I don't know how we ended up, but we ended up. We we're talking about currency creation, and we we're talking right. about how how the government sector creates currency, but how you can also create currency in the private sector. But no, it's a closed, don't call it cr- closed circuit. So it's bank don't call credit. It currency. Bank credit. You can create well, money because uh, money it's is a really money. general term. Mm. Yeah, it's all money. And so, but there's there's secure money, which is your M zero stuff, which which is hard currency, mm. and then it, it it becomes less and less secure down the rank. So, mm. so the 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 money created in the private sector is uh, called M one, M two, M three, M four, something like that. It's it's down it's the one rankings of the M's, depending isn't on it? <laughs> depending on who you borrow it from, you know. <clears throat> and it's all a bit weird, but you know, I reckon that's enough to talk about today, Anne. My, do my think, brain's. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think we've got the office of um, the Australian Office of Financial Management convinced that they uh, really all should retire and grow tulips? 
I'm pretty sure that after uh, after they hear our show today, the uh, Australian Office of Financial Management will close down, um, <laughs> or, or or they'll or they'll just stop worrying about debt so much and just go, oh cool, just, we can just chill. And you go, mm-hmm. you just go, yeah, don't worry about don't worry about the debt so much. They go, oh fine, terrific. Um, and I'm pretty sure that um, where's the Nobel Prize decided again? Is that over? It's over in Europe somewhere. Yeah, the the Nobel Prize. Well, it's Sweden, but I think it's the Swedish Institute of Economics or something. It's not actually the Nobel. Excellent. People. I'm pretty sure they listen to our podcast, and mm. and that means I'm I'm probably going to be. Well, like I would be up for. I'd be <laughs> up for running. Nobel Prize, except I'm pretty sure Bill's <laughs> going to pinch my idea and pinch it from me as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good luck to you, Kevin. I'll, 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 I will eat my hat if you get the Nobel Prize for economics. I, I will make a, a strong mention of you and invite you to the the, the dinner and the awards night <laughs> when, when I win. Yeah, so. But until oh, then, we better go. All right, we, we better we go. go. <laughs> okay, good on you. Ed. Another great show. And uh, see you next time. Next time. Next time. Uh, oh, we, oh, we can't say. We've it. got a secret, important, well, really interesting guest. Maybe next time. Fingers crossed we might be speaking to a celebrity. A celebrity guest, (laughs) yeah. Okay, excellent. (laughs) See you, Anne. Thanks thanks for the show. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.